0: Welcome to The Kingstonian, a program that profiles individuals who are passionate about what they do for a living, about what organization they belong to, or simply passionate about the community they are a part of. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the program. My name is Dave Cunningham, and our special guest today is the Principal and Vice-Chancellor of Queen's University, Daniel Wolfe. Welcome.
1: Welcome. Thanks uh, very much for having me, uh, Dave.
0: Now, from what I have read, if we're talking a little bit about you and what brought you to Queen's, you were a member of the class of Arts 80. That is correct. And then you went away... Got more education, Mm -hmm. got a Ph.D. from Oxford.
1: Mm -hmm. Or a D. Phil, we actually say there. (laughs) Same idea.
0: (laughs) And then you started teaching and then you ended up back at Queen's as the principal. That's right. Only the third alumnus to be appointed principal of Queen's in the 175 years.
1: You know your history.
0: What kind of impact did that have on you when you got the phone call to say you got the job?
1: Uh, to say I was speechless uh, is perhaps a, uh, an understatement. Uh, I mean, I you know I thought that the interview process had gone relatively well, but you know obviously there's other horses in the race. And uh, I guess it was uh, got the the call pretty soon after the last round of interviews had concluded. Within actually two or three hours, I was still at a bit of a you know high from from that. But uh, I think it took me several days to uh, to. Get back down from cloud nine to Earth. Um, there was also a certain amount of you know, oh my Lord, you know, what do I do? What do I do now? Like the end of the old Robert Redford movie, The Candidate. But uh, as I realized, what I sort of you know signed up for. But uh, but no, it was it was a point of you know just great uh, uh, you know a sense of great responsibility and challenge, but also of a, just a great opportunity to come back to an institution to which I basically owe my Entire career Mm -hmm. and uh, be able to be of some service to it.
0: Now, you are a history professor by training, Uh by education. At some particular point before you got to Queens, you started doing administration as opposed to the academic side. What made you move into that arena?
1: Well, it's funny. I mean, nobody who becomes an academic uh, thinks that they're going to end up being, you know, a dean or a provost or a principal or president anywhere that's simply not on the planning career track. Uh, But I think some of us just kind of stumble into it by accident. Uh, I I started doing a number of, uh, you know, department-level jobs at Dalhousie, which is where I was through the late 80s and most of the 90s. And I guess did them at a sufficiently competent level that I got asked to put my name in for an associate dean position uh in the graduate school at uh dal and uh that then uh by that point I'd been at Dalhousie for about twelve years, and I thought you know it might be a good time to think about uh moving on i've i guess I've never been one for sort of staying in one place mm-hmm. the uh, the entire time uh so I you know put my name in for a job at McMaster and uh, went there for three years as uh, dean of humanities and then from there on to the University of Alberta a much bigger school for seven years as dean of a a much bigger faculty of arts and then uh, back here in uh,
0: 2009. Now give me a sense as to what a principal of the university would do like what uh, what is what do you spend most of your time on?
1: Uh, Well, it's actually changed quite a lot, and I I get asked that a lot, and I think it's quite a different job than it, say, would have been for uh, Principal Watts, the late Principal Watts, who was principal when I was here, or his successor, Principal Smith, who was here when I was a postdoctoral fellow, my my second stint here, Uh, the job of principals or presidents, as they're called at most other places, has become a lot more externally focused. So some of the things that would have, I think, fallen to me in you know, previous years now fall to the uh, chief academic and budget and operating officer, if you like, our provost. And that's a position I introduced when I arrived uh, because we were simply too big and there are too many external obligations on fundraising and government government relations, uh, internationalization, uh, for me to be in you know, two or three places at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's always been a bit of a challenge to balance that with keeping your, your foot on the ground here and not being an absentee uh, principal. So uh, I would say my time is, and it's a little uneven. I mean, I've, the fall term is just one long pinball pull of <laughs> uh, travel and meetings and so forth and uh, off-campus trips, uh, winter term is a little bit more at at, at home. So I, I spent uh, much of the fall, for example, doing four international and one Trans-Canada trip. Uh, I have much less of that this term when I actually also happen to be teaching a, a course.
0: And that was something I was going to get into, so you still have the ability to teach.
1: Uh, I, I do. I, well, I'm not sure I have the ability, but I, I do have the inclination <laughs> to do it uh, from time to time. And uh, every, you know, I, I like to keep my hand in, and it's very easy to sort of get a little bit disconnected from the business of the business, which is teaching students and doing research. So I've tried to keep my research career up also on a, on a lowish voltage for, for now, you know, maybe an article or two a year, a few book reviews, and uh, maybe a conference. Uh, I've also taught in the history first-year course uh, almost every year I've been here. In the years I didn't, I've taught my own course, so I'm teaching one right now, a sort of combined fourth-year and master's-level seminar uh, pretty close to my research specialization.
0: We talked a little bit before we started recording the interview, and we focused a little bit on your involvement with the station, and you weren't involved with CFRC when you were a student. But as principal, you are involved. As a matter of fact, in less than three hours, you're going to be back doing your own show, which is called Dark Glasses. That's right. Now, uh, give us a sense as to what kind of show that is. And obviously, it's a music program. Uh, What kind of music uh, does it involve?
1: Well, Dark Glasses is a little bit eclectic. And I think it started from a sense of... uh, Having missed out on one aspect of my undergraduate education, and maybe not participated in quite as many extracurricular activities as uh, as I would have liked, and one in particular that I'd wanted to do was radio, and I just never quite uh, got around to it. So, when the opportunity, I did a couple of uh, guest appearances on other people's shows the first couple of years I was here, and then sort of you know we hit on the idea of doing my own my own show. I've been doing it now for about five years. Uh, I uh, un- unlike you, I'm not a fully trained C.F.R.C. volunteer, <laughs> so they they send other people in with me to produce it, uh, so that I don't blow something up by pressing <laughs> the wrong button. But it's uh, my musical taste is pretty eclectic. In the last uh, 20 years, it's veered very much towards uh, jazz, but I also keep interests in sort of retro stuff, particularly stuff from the 70s when I was uh, you know a teenager and a young man, mm-hmm. and uh, also some of the more sort of indie. Uh, acts that have emerged uh, in uh, in recent years, uh, including a lot of Canadian content. So I always have some Canadian content in there as well.
0: Okay, let's talk about Queen's, the university. Sure. If you are a citizen of this city, and I imagine this applies to a lot of cities across the country, there are institutions or places of note in your communities that you have never visited, never spent much time learning much about. And I think for a lot of people in town, They know Queen's is here, but they don't know a lot about Queen's and the impact that Queen's has. So why don't we start? We know that it's 175 years old. Tell us a little bit about number of students, number of faculty
1: and staff. Well, first of all, Dave, I think you made an excellent point that uh, it is obviously well known that Queen's is is, is here, uh, uh, but I think there is sometimes a certain reluctance among our fellow Kingstonians to set foot on campus, even though we are actually a very open campus. There's no, there's no wall or perimeter. Uh, there's a big sign at the corner of Union and University, but apart from that, anybody can drive or, or walk through. That said, the University can seem a little bit forbidding at times, so... We've uh, we've grown a lot. We're one of the oldest in the country. When I was here as a student in the late 70s, we were around 10,000 students all in. Now it's around 21,000 including graduate students some students who actually aren't physically here, for example, are uh, uh, some of our executive MBA programs are non-residential. My wife just graduated from a program, a Master of Science in Health Quality, a year or so ago, which was taught entirely online, although the students came here for a couple of three-week sessions. But generally speaking, between particularly September and uh, April, we've got uh, probably around twenty, twenty-one thousand 21,000 students here. So that's like putting a a small city in the middle of a slightly bigger city.
0: And you have faculty and staff?
1: Faculty and staff uh, faculty number around eight hundred eight fifty. sort of depends how you count them. We have a number of adjuncts, many of whom work uh, part time We have uh, some of our medical faculty who have you know full time clinical practices apart from teaching and and in many cases doing research as well so it's a, a little hard to give up the exact count but it's about that uh, it's about that size so we're we're mid sized by Canadian standards, uh, which in some ways is a sort of awkward size to be because. We're not a very, very small place of bishops where I taught for a year once, or one of the maritime schools like uh, uh, Matt Allison. Uh, which can foster, I think, a very, very intimate environment, but neither are we an enormous uh, uh, urban university such as the University of Alberta, where uh, my last job uh, was. So it's always a bit of a balance for us. And because we're very residential and our students mainly come from outside the Kingston area, it means when they're here, they are here week in, week out. Some obviously do go home to the GTA and elsewhere for the weekend, but uh, by and large, when our students arrive in September, they're here for, uh, for the year 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. so there's this buzz of activity, uh, sometimes maybe a little too much activity, <laughs> uh, but um, that makes it quite different from many other universities I've, I've worked at.
0: Now, given the number of people that are here, the impact on the city is fairly substantial.
1: It is, it is from an
0: economic it, perspective. Yeah.
1: It's it is it is. It's uh, uh, I think the positive benefit, of course, is our students are here and they're buying groceries, buying other consumer goods, they're paying rent, and uh, I know I know from talking to our cab drivers that uh, they're our students' biggest uh, <laughs> fans. <laughs> I think because they have a bit more of a rough go of it uh, during during the summer months. Uh, that said, any time you, you increase the population of a relatively small and confined city and, uh, you know, increase it basically by a quarter to a third uh, once a year... There are naturally going to be some some pressures and as we have grown, we have of course seen some pressure on the local on the local neighborhoods uh, we and the the AMS and the other student groups uh, try to work very very closely with the city and with the police. To minimize uh, tensions, but in any residential university town, going back to when universities first started in the 13th century, there's always going to be some tension.
0: Oh, yeah. Now, uh, this program doesn't normally generate breaking news, but while we're talking about the economics and the city, the university is about to get into an arrangement with the city to try to keep some of these highly trained people that you educate here in the city. Can you tell us a little bit about what this memorandum of understanding is all about?
1: Sure. Well, we went public with that just uh, just last Thursday, and it's not official yet because it's going up to city council just uh, tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, I'll be I'll be speaking there. Uh, I think it uh, speaks very well for the vision of our particular mayor and, uh, and this council, which I think have uh, really, really raised uh, the bar in terms of discussions of making Kingston a little less of a, uh, this is a bit of a little bit less of a sort of entirely public sector, great place to retire, great place to sail your boat, and much more of an economic driver. I don't think realistically we're ever going to be a Waterloo uh, type uh, place simply because uh, we do not have the population density in this part of Kingston. But there's so much more we could be doing. It's a, it's a fantastic place to live. We have a medical school. We have several hospitals. Uh, We have uh, this supply of very, very smart people, not just at Queen's, but uh, at RMC, at St. Lawrence College. Uh, So I think there's all sorts of opportunity. All this MOU does really is just states a very, very clear formal arrangement between the city and us to do things such as potentially develop the lands out at Innovation Park north of Princess a little more, And to try and develop a bit more of a robust ecosystem such that uh, some of our students will not feel that they have to leave immediately after graduation to seek work back in Mm -hmm. uh, in Toronto or Ottawa or going back out west. uh, But will feel that there are opportunities to either join a larger business if we can attract some more of them here. Um, or indeed start our own business. And I might mention on that front, uh, one of the things we're most excited about is the role Queen's has taken in the last few years in terms of entrepreneurship and innovation. And uh, we recently opened the Dun & Deshpande Innovation Centre. And when our construction at the... Um, at the former physical education center on the corner of Union and Division, is finished in about uh, sixteen months' time. We think that uh, should be the home for that, as well as a new wellness center. So there's all sorts of, I think, really exciting things to happen. The MOU doesn't make anything happen of its of its own, but it's a tremendous step forward in terms mm-hmm. of a formal partnership between town and gown.
0: Sounds good. The uh, there is a video that's online that features you talking about the position. And one of the remarks you made uh, revolved around your background, Mm -hmm. being a historian. And uh, I'm not quoting you exactly, but uh, basically you talked about celebrating the past, learning from the past, but not living in the past. One of the things that uh, I guess I would phrase it from the perspective of if you're standing still, you're falling behind. Absolutely. So if you're talking about an institution like Queen's that has a lot of great people in it, you have to continually look to find other people as well as increase the number of facilities or um, buildings that you have on campus, and the fundraising. I'm just amazed by how much money that initiative campaign raised.
1: Well, the initiative campaign was a tremendous success, and I give uh, enormous credit to our team and in, in advancement led by Vice Principal Tom Harris, former dean of engineering, uh, to our deans, uh, to uh, our many, many volunteers, and, of course, to our donors. Uh, Queens has a very long tradition, uh, one of the strongest in Canada in terms of philanthropy uh, from alumni, of course, but mm-hmm. uh, one of the big surprises was the degree to which we got support from people who hadn't previously had a connection with Queen's, other than maybe they sent their kid here, uh, but who simply wanted to invest in the success of a a great Canadian uh, institution. So... uh, um, I, I was pretty confident we were going to hit our $500 million goal, even, even in the wake of the 2008 uh, crash. Uh, I certainly didn't expect us to vault over to the height we mm-hmm. uh, we actually did. Uh, but it's absolutely essential, as you're right, because an institution that does stand still does, exactly your point, uh, fall behind. And research needs change change, and we have to update facilities for those and uh indeed uh, we um Uh, I think have uh, got some new facilities there for example our new medical school building that opened about five years ago uh, was really the very first designated building for medical teaching in the university's history believe, believe it or not and it's completely changed or enabled a lot of pedagogical changes so teaching needs change as well we've put a fair bit of resources not necessarily into new buildings but into refurbishing and redesigning and changing the quality of Space for some of the old ones, uh, so that, uh, there are, for instance, many more interactive classrooms. Mm-hmm. Because the era, uh, I mean, there are a lot, obviously lots of space for the old lecture, sage on the stage. But many professors and students prefer something a little bit more, uh, more interactive. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I wish we had more time. Maybe we'll have to get you back in to talk I'd about to. some more aspects yeah. of it. Thank you very much for your time today. I've enjoyed the conversation.
1: Thanks a lot, Dave. Till we meet again.